Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to go deeper in the Scriptures, but just isn't sure how to go about it. We're here to help you think, live, and love biblically while never losing sight of the real purpose of Scripture, which is to show us the glories of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Matthew Tilly, and you're listening to Episode 5 of the podcast. Welcome. As we get into this week's episode, I think uh, those of you that are listening in uh, deserve a little bit of explanation. I had to, to skip the recording last week, uh, just got a little overwhelmed with life, uh, too many things, uh, too many irons in the fire, as they say. Um, I do think uh, that that because of what all is going on right now, I've got some uh, classes that I'm doing, I've got some preaching opportunities that are coming up, and uh, my work is is picking up quite a bit. So just having a, a lot of that th- those responsibilities that need to be taken care of, I think uh, I want to continue with this show for now. Um, I'm going to go to a biweekly focus, uh, biweekly publication uh, focus for this right now. So you won't see this every week as I had originally intended. It'll be every other week. Um, so hopefully that'll be uh, something that you can look forward to. Um, other thing I'm going to do in terms of focusing in, I, I posted this on a couple of different platforms, uh, um, Facebook and YouTube and then Anchor and some other things. So instead, I'm just going to publish all this as an audio file. I'll be putting it on the Anchor podcast um, application, and that <clears throat> publishes out to a bunch of different uh, podcast uh, tools. Uh, so if you use Stitcher or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever you might use, it should uh, publish automatically to those just as it always did. But uh, that'll be the only way I'll be distributing right now. Um, went and looked. I did, really weren't getting, uh, were, there weren't very many people looking at the the YouTube videos and it I will just tell you, it takes a little extra effort to to publish in that way. So I'm just going to cut that out, hopefully make the production of this a little bit easier to accomplish. And then as a result of that, I'm also going to just focus in on the Bible study portion. Uh, My goal here has always been and will remain helping you see Christ in the scriptures. Um, And I think where I can probably add the most value to those that might want to listen in um, is to give you a bit of a, a Bible study with that slant, that 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 um, emphasis on finding what those passages give us or show us about Jesus. Uh, if you ever hear me preach, that's often the, the way that I preach. So really uh, what you're hearing here is just a little more of a conversational version of what I kind of preach. Uh, but the, it's, a, it's a good practice for me and I, I hope it's of some help to you. Would love to get some feedback, um, good or bad. Um, honestly, uh, obviously, always everybody likes to get good feedback. Clearly, but uh, love to get some, even some negative feedback. You know what's not working, what's not helping you. Uh, that'll help me a lot. But um, in any, any in any event, um, I am just trying to adjust this a little bit. I hope those of you that are our listeners, one, thank you for being listeners. Uh, but I hope that you're finding some value in this, and I hope these changes. Uh, One, make it so I can continue to publish this on a regular basis, but also you're ultimately getting uh, the kind of information that that, that may be helpful to you in your walk with the Lord. Again, my goal continues to be to help you to, to, to live and to love and to think in a biblical manner and really to see Jesus in the scriptures. Um, so hopefully as uh, I'm seeking out what God is calling me to be and to do in, in the, the next phase of my life, um, I'm trying to be patient while he forms me and prepares me for that. Uh, but again, a lot of business going on. But I, w- I think this is a big part of this, and I want to continue to do it. So hopefully you'll get some benefit from this. And again, let me know what you think.
As we get into the Bible study, we're now in 1 Samuel chapter 4. You need to remember where we are in 1 Samuel. Uh, you're looking at a nation of people who are marked by basically doing what they want. Whatever their heart desires, that's really what they chase. And you see that uh, the last verse of Judges, Judges 21, 25, that that's just who these people are. And that kind of sinful, sin-drenched life creates people, and I think Hannah in chapter 1 is really representative of the kinds of feelings and, and, and emotions that these people are dealing with. And these are people that are dealing with, I think, deep despair, depression, because they can't be satisfied. Nothing can satisfy the way that they, the things that they need, the way they're living does not satisfy them the way they need to. You go to Hannah, what, Hannah, what talks about Hannah in chapter one and verse 10, here you've got this woman who is just, I mean, really devastated uh, because of what she needs, and she's not able to get that uh, through the life that she's living. And so uh, the people do what, what folks have been doing, you know, really from the beginning. Uh, they, they turn to religion. They turn to some kind of, of means of, of connecting with, with the divine. Um, and they, like people have done for centuries, uh, fail miserably at it. Uh, they're not able to connect in the right way. They're not able to get to God. And part of it, at least in part, is that the the priests that they're going to, which is really it's Eli and Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, uh, these priests are unfaithful priests. They do not uh, conduct the office of a priest the way that they should. In fact, it even says in First Samuel chapter two and verse twelve, they don't even know God. The very God that these people need to talk to, need to connect with, need to hear from, these priests don't even know Him. So as a result, not only are the priests not hearing from God, they don't know God. Now the whole nation doesn't hear from God. So in chapter 3 and in verse 1, you talk, you're hearing them talk about that there's not even really any word from God. This is a, the time of uh, basically spiritual drought uh, that is in this, in this nation. They're not hearing anything from God. Um, they are blessed with a man. They don't even fully realize this, but they, they will see this later on. But towards the end of chapter three, they, there's glimmers of this. They're blessed by a man who's been sent from God, who gives them uh, the word of God. Uh, this is Samuel, uh, the namesake of the book. And uh, But you're going to see even he, he's going to let them down eventually as well. But uh, all of this is really pointing to and very suggestive, I believe, of, of an important truth. And it really is the one that undergirds all of 1 Samuel. The, the, that truth is that the ultimate provision that leadership, rather that Israel needs, which is leadership, that ultimate provision and really all of humanity, not just Israel, all of humanity needs it's not going to be found in anything that a man can do for them. It's only found in one that would come, would be the Messiah. We understand, of course, not only is that Jesus, but it is Jesus who is very God and very man. He is the God-man. He's that one that the whole world is longing for. So so the, the, the truth here that because these people have tried everything, nothing has worked for them. The, the scripture is pointing them, that the message of God is pointing them to the fact that they need something. They need good leadership. They need direction in life. But they're only going to find that in the Messiah, who would be a faithful priest to them. He'll never let them down in terms of getting them and connecting them to the Lord. He's the one in the Revelation even calls the Word of God. 
He who always is and always has been the perfect word of the Father to us. Uh, if you go to Hebrews in chapter 1 and, and verses 1 and 2, it talks about how God, he talks and he communicates. He's a communicative God. So we're glad to know that he's going to talk to us. But it says in verse 2 that he is most perfectly communicated in these last days. He's communicated to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So I hope you're starting to see all this coming together, that that what is going on in these passages, in these, these stories, is that we're, that that we're being shown as well as the Israelite nation being shown that that their their way is going to fail but God has got a better priest a better word a better direction he's got something for them and that is found in the Messiah I don't know that Israel's quite seeing it at this point in the story uh there there's going to come a point where there is some revival that comes about they've not they're not quite there yet But as you come into chapter 4, they do have, the nation of Israel has one consolation. And this is, is, to you and I, in the modern era, this may not feel like much of a consolation, but you need to understand that the children of Israel, this is a very important thing that that they have still going for them at this moment. They have something that is called the Ark of the Covenant. Um, this This Ark of the Covenant, why is it so important? It's important because... This is the place that God's presence would show up. I want to quote to you or read to you out of Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22. God is referring to the Ark of the Covenant and he says, There I will meet thee with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of things which I will give thee in commandments, a commandment unto the children of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to actually meet you here on this ark. This is, this is in essence, his throne on the earth, if you want to think of it in those terms. This is the place where he's going to show up. So, so maybe they're not hearing from God right now, but you know there have been times like that before and they would have times like that again. But they have his presence. They have God's power with them. That God is there to protect them and to care for them. And that's very relevant because as you open chapter 4, Israel is in this battle against the Philistines. And, and according to verse 2, it looks like they're going to be in this in the position to, to lose. I mean, they're, they're, they're up against a pretty significant um, uh, enemy here. So they need God on their side. They need God fighting their battles for them. I mean, that that totally makes sense. I mean, we even understand that in this era that we need God to fight our battles. So what do they do? They're they're in this position. They're up against these Philistines. It looks like they're going to lose. So they decide, verse 4, to actually bring the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield. And the reason is, and again, remember the logic here, this ark represents the place where God is going to meet them. They know, of course, that God is powerful and all these other things. So they think, if I could just bring that ark onto the battlefield, then that's going to solve this. So when they do bring the ark out, everybody gets charged up. In verse 6, you see there's a shout coming up from the camp, and even the Philistines get a little nervous. And in verses 7 and 8, Verse 7, it says, uh, they say, woe unto us. This is the Philistines. They say, you know, this God is coming into their camp. Uh, so they're very, they're a little, they're a little off put by this. Uh, they, they, would, they would recognize what the Israelite nation was doing. It's exactly something they probably wouldn't be surprised had they not done something like this, bringing some 
artifact of their god or gods um, into the the battle uh, to the battle zone with them as well. So you know everybody's getting everybody's kind of got charged up on the Israelite side, nervous on the Philistine side. Um, so they they're they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the battle. So it's surprising to see, or at least it should be, as you read the story in, in verse ten that. The Philistines actually win. They beat the Israelite nation. In fact, they beat them in there's 30,000 footmen, it says. There was a very great slaughter. 30,000 footmen lose their lives. So it's bad enough to lose the battle. It's bad enough to to have all these uh, casualties. But what happens in verse 11 is that the, the Ark of God is taken and the two priests, the two the the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, are, are slain. It says, so you've got this this terrible set of events that gets kind of kicked off when they lose the battle. The ark is taken. Uh, Eli dies in verse eighteen. Um, of course, his sons die there in in verse eleven. And then later on, after Eli dies, then he's got a grandson that comes on, and the, he gets this ominous name of. Ichabod, uh, the glory is departed from Israel right there at the last part of uh, chapter four. So when, when this is happening, it starts to make you wonder, at least it should make you wonder, well, what's going on here? What is it that Israel really lost? Yes, it's some kind of religious artifact. Yes, it's something that had a significance in the offerings and all that. But but what what is happening here when they mishandled this ark, they've lost something. What was it? And again, I've said it before, but I think it's worth restating. They have lost that earthly presence of God. And this ark would provide, again, not just at this moment in time, throughout the history of Israel, it would be the thing that God would use to provide them, or the place rather, that God would use to provide them direction. If you were to go all the way back into the beginning when they come out of Egypt, I mean, God is leading them by fire by uh, by night and the cloud by day. And then once they actually get, or rather Moses actually gets the instructions for the ark, it's built. And then the ark is what leads them. If you go to Numbers chapter 10, you can see that they're kind of following behind this ark. And it helps them find safety, helps them to figure out what to do next, that they don't know what to do next. And if you go through the the children of Israel as they travel through that, uh, what what we think of as wanderings in the wilderness, uh, as they do that, they're they're not just meandering without without purpose or direction. They're literally following where God has told them to move, and they pick up camp and move and then place camp where God has told them to do. But in this case here, instead of listening to God's direction, they have mishandled the ark and they have put it where they want it to go. And now they're in the wrong battle. Verse 10, we've got 30,000 dead. And that's that's at least how many are dead. There may be more than that, but at least 30,000 people are dead. This ark not only is providing them direction in life, and now they don't have this, it even provides them with life itself. The Ark of the Covenant was a uh, was a very instrumental uh, component. It was it was it was central uh, to an important day for the for the Jewish religion uh, called the Day of Atonement. Or in modern time, we we think of it. Uh, if you if you know much about the Jewish holidays, you may know about Yom Kippur, and this would be the Day of Atonement. Uh, this would be a time of an annual propitiation for sins. Uh, I believe over in Leviticus sixteen is where you'll see some of this de- detailed out. 
but uh, it's the time when there'd be blood sprinkled on the on the ark, and and there would just be be uh, something that would be done on behalf of the entire nation, and all these the sin would be propitiated. Of course, all looking forward to, as we Christians would know, looking forward to the cross where Jesus would shed his own blood. And then we know in, by Hebrews that he took his own blood into that ultimate holy of holies in the in the heavens. And he sprinkled as, he, he was the priest who sprinkled the blood on the, the real Ark of the Covenant, not the one on this earth, but the one that's in heaven that was represented here. And he would be that propitiation. But, but the point is that this Ark was the place where they as a nation would have their sins covered and handled and atoned for, and this would be hap- happening every year for them. And so with this art gone, that whole act that of, of, of purifying the nation so that they could have God's presence with them would not be able to be happening anymore. And so now they don't have the, of course, the forgiveness and the life that comes from that forgiveness. And you see as a result of, of this going away, you see death coming into the camp. You've got Hophni and Phinehas dying. You've got Eli dying. And even what would normally be, I mean, in most cultures, and especially in the in the ancient Israel-like culture, uh, would have been a cause for celebration. Uh, this birth of a son in verse 20, it's not cause for joy. In fact, we see this poor woman, uh, she finds out her husband has died and, and she understands exactly what's going on. She had heard about the prophecies and when she hears about her, or she knows her son's coming in, uh, she she names him, you know, that God God's glory is departed. So now that this ark is gone, not only do they not have direction, they don't even have life available to them. And, and it's because all blessings and fellowship have been broken. God is going to meet his people there. I read to you earlier, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22. That's where God would meet his people. The uncontainable God comes to this little spot in his creation. And now that little spot in his creation is no longer with them. It is somewhere else. It's, it's, it's lost, if you will. So this is not just losing some religious artifact. They're they're actually losing intimacy with God. And it happened because, I mean, a couple of different things. I mean, one, they moved the ark for the wrong reason. Uh, They're supposed to move it when God told them to, but they just decided to do it. So they moved it for the wrong reason. They moved it in the wrong way. God had prescribed very specific ways for it to be handled. In fact, there's another story over in the, when David um, is is uh, moving the ark around, and there's a man that that he they put it on a on a ox cart, I believe it is, and and there's a man that reaches out just to sort of settle the ark, and and he's being very respectful. The whole thing is being done as respectful as possible. But there's one man that puts his hand out, and God kills that man. So, you know, you've got these guys bringing in, bringing this ark in here and uh, don't know exactly all the protocols that they followed, but they don't know God in this, you know, it's Hophni and Phinehas. They don't know God. Uh, I would refer to them, you know, if you, if you know, kind of dumb and dumber, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at here. And they're just bringing it. They don't know anything about God and God's ways of doing things, God's protocols. So again, no, no details are shared here, um, but God had every right to strike them dead for just touching the ark in this way. So they didn't do it the right way. And then they brought it to the wrong place. I mean, the the ark was not intended to be on a battlefield. It had a place in the tabernacle. Uh, And and here they are just bringing it right in front of their enemies uh, as a way to, to maybe to, 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 to change the outcome of the, uh, of the, of the battle. 
but they missed what they saw. They, they, they kind of understood it was God's presence, but they really missed uh, that it absolutely represented the very presence of God himself. Uh, they were treating it as if it was some kind of special talisman that gave them some kind of divine power, but they missed that this was essentially God's very, the very God's own throne here on earth. And, and I think they, they had this sense that maybe they could manipulate God, but, but really missed that they needed, or they, they actually needed God to direct them, to bless them, to give them life. They, they couldn't manipulate God. And this is not the, the, the lesson here to learn, but I do think it's a lesson worth learning. And that is that we can't manipulate God. God is the one that we depend on. Uh, we have no power over him. We can't trick him into doing things for us. But, but again, this, this ark, it's essentially, from a human perspective, just a very ornate box. Again, we know that it was prescribed by God, built exactly the way it was supposed to be built, uh, being, and used in a very specific way. But this ark, this box, was pointing these people to the fact that the infinite, almighty, uncontainable God would meet with and dwell with his people. Now, he would ultimately, and this is what it was pointing towards, he, he, God, would ultimately meet with his people, humanity, his creation in the flesh. Uh, Philippians, uh, Paul writes in Philippians about how Christ would take on the form of a servant. And, and Jesus Christ was that ultimate place of presence, of God's presence. Uh, it, he, his body, was the place where that blood was sprinkled and giving life to, to the whole world. Um, he's where wisdom and direction is going to be given. Uh, he is the only place of blessing and fellowship because he is, as Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through Jesus. So as you read that into this, as you're thinking about what that means, that arc, what that arc really represents, you should be, as you get to the end of chapter four, should be feeling this profound loss, a loneliness even. It's almost as if God has left the building. I mean, and, and, and sometimes I think we think about that in hypothetical terms of, you know, trying to argue against maybe someone who is atheistic or something like that. You know, you know, what, what if, what, what, would it, what would it actually be? What would the world actually be without a God? This is what the picture that is trying to be painted here is that God is gone. And, and that's why you have this, this mourning from uh, this little little baby, Ichabod's mother, and why she names him Ichabod. Because the glory has been departed now. There's no glory anymore. And, and really, that emptiness, that longing that they felt, again, it was pointing them to something. And, and again, I think they ultimately get to that. You'll see that in a few chapters. But it's pointing them to something, and it should point you to something. And the fact is that there is only one person that is Jesus, the Messiah, the presence of God himself that is going to satisfy, to fill our souls. And don't miss this and be encouraged by this, that Jesus said before he, up, he ascended up into heaven, this is in Matthew chapter 28, as he was giving his last words to his disciples and therefore by extension to you and I, he says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us.
Thank you so much for joining me on Seeking Christ in the Scriptures. I hope you will follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you like to listen to podcasts. Now, if you found this show helpful and interesting in any way, do you mind sharing it with somebody you know? Uh, you can maybe on a lot of the podcast um, platforms, you have a little share button. You can send that out via social media. You can maybe just send it to one of your friends by text or something. But please share it. It may go a long way in helping me to get the word out about the show. I hope you have a great week and you can tune in every other week. We're going to do this as a bi-weekly show from now on. Uh, you can tune in every other week for a new episode of Seeking Christ in the Scriptures.